Amen. I want you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 17. And if you would stand for the reading of these verses. Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, and then we're going to skip down to verse 13 and 14. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of um, Amalek from under heaven. Father God, this is your word. Holy Spirit, this is your sword. Would you come and open us up to what the Father wants to say to us today. Holy Spirit, would you come and wield that sword in our own hearts so that we may divide truth from everything else. And God, as we go out of this place today, may we be changed by your word in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone that agrees with that said, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled the R-Cycle. The R cycle. You know, there are all kinds of cycles in life, aren't there? There's scientific cycles. Uh, One that I found was called the water cycle, and it's something that you probably all remember from school, how that water circulates between air, oceans, the earth, and back up, right? And it just continues to circulate. There's a biological cycles that are similar to that, the nitrogen cycle between air, soil, and all living things. Somebody called it the circle of life, I don't know, in some movie. But there are all kinds of cycles. There's even planetary, universal cycles. The moon revolves around the earth, the earth revolves around the sun, and these create what? The seasons, the seasonal cycles of our life. Then there's other cycles like this cycle. Guys, if you could show it to me. There it is. Some of you, that's not an enjoyment. That's a torture device. I understand that. But, but especially when you're kids, you love these kind of cycles. And if, have you ever worked on a bicycle? Give me a hand raise if you've ever worked on a bicycle. All right. Especially if you've had kids, you've worked on a bicycle a time or two. And you know, when my kids go out and they're rough on their cycles or, or there's too much shaking or whatever, you know, things get a little bent out of shape and, and chains come off and you have to flip that cycle over, right? And then you have to put the chain back on. And once you get the chain back on, dads especially, and I'm sure a lot of moms have done this too, but dads especially, what do you do once you get the chain back on and that cycle is flipped over? What do you do? No, you don't get on it. you start what? You start going like this to that cycle, right? You start going like this. And what happens? That starts spinning, right? And then you turn it over. And then, Bill, what do you do? Then you get on it. And then you start riding it away to make sure that it's good. But when the cycle is flipped over, how many of you know as much effort as you can put into it, you're not going anywhere, Just round and round and round we go. But if you flip it over, you get on it, and you start riding, how many of you know that cycle will take you somewhere? So there are cycles in life that take us places. There's even a marriage cycle, one of the ones I really don't like, that one author called the crazy cycle. Anybody ever been on that? Don't raise your hand. But you get on that cycle in a marriage, and and it just seems like you're going nowhere. It's just round and round and round. I want to talk to you and present to you something that I call the R cycle, something that I believe that we can see biblically is a cycle of spiritual life as well as normal life, as well as any part of our life. But it's something that can take us somewhere. 
And we just read out of Exodus 17. Exodus 17 is the first mention of a man named Joshua. It's the first mention of a man named Joshua. Most scholars believe that Joshua at this point was somewhere in his 30s or 40s at this point. And and the Bible says that God spoke to Moses to tell Joshua to choose some men for fighting. Now, if you were here Wednesday night or you were watching online, by the way, all of our Wednesday nights we are uh, posting online and so you can watch live and interact as well. But as, as I was talking about Joshua and leadership lessons from Joshua on Wednesday, I, I told about how that Joshua began not as Moses' aide per se, but he began as a commander in the Lord's army. For some reason, and we don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but at some reason between the Red Sea parting and the first battle with the Amalekites, God chose Joshua out of all of the million of Israelites. He said, Joshua is my man. And God spoke through Moses to Joshua. Now, the Bible says in verse 14 of that, it says, make sure that Joshua hears this. He told Moses, write this out on a scroll and make sure that Joshua hears this. There was something that God knew about Joshua that Moses didn't know. There was something that God knew about Joshua that all of his other peers, all of the others, his cousins, nobody knew about him. But God knew that Joshua needed here, that the Amalekites will be wiped out. Joshua, this is one battle you won't have to fight again. There's going to be others, but these people, I'm going to take care of them. In Numbers 13, Joshua was chosen as one of the 12 spies after the battle. Along with Caleb, we know that Joshua was the only other one to give a good report. Joshua and Caleb came and said, the land is ours. Exactly what God said. Yeah, there's some people there, but I can imagine, even though we don't have it recorded, Joshua was thinking, just like we took care of the Amalekites, we're going to take care of all the other kites. Come on. We're going to take care of every other one that comes along. I don't care what a prefix you put in there. We're going to take care of all of them because God is on our side. Just like he fought for us in that valley, he's going to fight for us in our promised land. He promised it. He's going to deliver it. And we know the story, and I'm not here to talk about that story today, but it's important to know that Joshua stood on the word of God. Joshua stood on the promises of God. There was something in him that he knew that God was the real God, the true God. Now, in Exodus 33, I'm taking you through a history lesson. Exodus 33, verse 9 says, As Moses went into the tent... The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. So you get the picture, right? Moses is going into the tent of meeting. It's set apart outside the camp. Uh, it's on the, on the mountainside. And he goes up to that tent. And everybody down in the valley is watching Moses go up and enter that tent as the cloud moves and rests upon the tent. But there's something, and I've, I've talked about just this next verse for an entire message. But I want to remind you of it. And those that have yet haven't heard it, I want you to hear it. This is the approximately the third or fourth mention of Joshua in the Bible. In verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And we love that. But look at the next verse. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, what? Did not leave. Come on, church. The tent. Joshua stayed a little longer behind in the presence of Jehovah. 
I, I believe that this is where Joshua began to develop his relationship with the Lord on a personal level. Watch this. The first time God spoke to Joshua, I, we just read it in Exodus 17. How did he speak to Joshua? He spoke through Moses. He spoke through Moses. And the Bible says in that battle, he did that. And he comes out as a spy and he knows the Lord is with him. He's seen him in battle, but now he's seeing him in his glory. Now he's in his presence. Now he can hear for himself the voice of God speaking to Moses as a friend speaks to a friend. How many of you know we can know God as Lord, and we can know him as Savior, and we can know him as conquering king, but it's another thing to know him as friend. I'm not saying there's different levels of salvation or anything like that, but I am saying that this is the progression that God wants to take all of his children on. He doesn't want us to just know his mighty acts. He wants us to know him in his heart. He wants us to know his heart. And so here we have that time when Joshua is staying behind and he's hearing from the Lord for himself. Now, right before Moses died, God appointed Joshua as leader. And at first, I wasn't going to read this passage, but I really feel like it's necessary to understand this so well. If you go to Numbers chapter 27, And I know I'm having you go from Exodus to Numbers, and in a minute we're going to go to Joshua. But in the chronology of Joshua's life, this is how it went. In Numbers 27, verse 18, says, The Lord replied, Take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the Spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present to him Eleazar, the priest, before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer, look at verse 20, transfer some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. Wow. How many of you know there can be a transference of authority? There can absolutely be a transference of authority. And aren't you glad that that Joshua and Moses are such a beautiful picture of what Jesus and his disciples are today? How he transferred his authority. Jesus said, I give you my authority, right? Let's keep going. That's a whole nother message. Verse 21. When direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. Don't ever, ever post note. Don't ever roll dice and say it's from God, okay? That's not what that means. That's really, really bad theology. All right, keep going. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should. So now we we come from this place. Moses speaks to Joshua. God speaks through Moses. Now Joshua is hearing from the Lord himself, but we we don't have any indication that God is saying to Joshua, do this or do that. We just know he's spending time in his presence. Now Moses comes to the end of his life and he begins to transfer his authority, begins to transfer and say, now here's your new leader. But there's an important factor in there. Eleazar, the priest, would help Joshua with decisions by hearing from the Lord. We, we do see this, which I'm not going to go to, in Numbers 32, where it seems like Eleazar goes before the Lord and gets an answer for them. But this is while Moses is still alive. The next mention we have of God's relationship with Joshua is in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, we have the famous passage of God giving to Joshua directions about his life. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore them. Now, we can assume because of what we just read in Numbers that most likely Eleazar the priest was blessing Joshua and speaking these things over him. 
After the death of Moses, Eleazar went into the place in the tent of meeting and got instructions. And Joshua was there and God spoke through him. God spoke through Eleazar, the priest. But now I want you to skip to Joshua 5 where we're going to rest. Joshua 5. How many of you know sometimes you have to have a little history lesson to understand what's going on now? How many of you know America needs a history lesson about right now? Come on. Let's get back to Scripture. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so Joshua did. Did that last bit sound familiar? Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing, Moses, is holy ground. Can I tell you something about the commander of the Lord's armies here? And I've got a lot of scholars to back me up on this, but I need you to hear this. I don't believe that this was a simple angel of the Lord. I don't believe that this was Michael the archangel. I believe that this was a Christology, that this was Jesus himself, the commander of all of God's armies, coming to speak to Joshua face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the reason I believe that is that last line, because an angel doesn't tell people to take off their sandals because the angel is holy. Only when the presence of God is in the place manifesting would they declare this is holy ground. God himself came to Joshua and began to reveal to him. He skipped Eleazar the priest. Poor Eleazar. No, Eleazar had enough work to do. He skipped right over. And can I tell you today... I haven't even got to the cycle yet. The cycle goes quick, but I need you to hear this. Even today, we cannot think that we have to go to a man to hear from God. Men are good. I don't have a problem with hearing from good men and women of God. I love the preaching and teaching. I love prophets. I love apostles and stink. Think they don't stink. I still think that they are relevant today, contrary to popular Christian belief. Prophets are real. Apostles are real. Just as evangelists are real and pastors and teachers are real. Can somebody say amen? They're still gifts to us. But how many of you know, how can you know what a man or a woman is saying is true if you haven't heard from the master himself? Even the Bereans went to check out what Paul, the great apostle, would say to make sure that what he was saying was true. They didn't do it with skepticism. In fact, the Bible says about the Bereans that they received what Paul said and then they went to the word. How many of you know that's good practice? That's good practice. So I believe, I believe in hearing from God through others. I believe, especially as young believers or children, that that there are times when we need to hear and we're going to primarily hear from other voices speaking to us from God. But there comes a time in our growth, believer. There comes a time in our growth, disciple, that we need to hear from God directly. That we need to get to a place where we're standing on holy ground for ourselves and for our own families. Where we can stand there and hear the plans and the purposes of God for us. 
Again, I don't have a problem with counselors. I don't have a problem as you're learning to hear the Lord's voice to go to people that are godly people and check out what they're saying and what you're hearing. Because how many of you know some people have said some crazy things that they heard from God over the years? One of the great reasons why so many different, uh, um, so many different missionaries are now taking up the mantle of being professors in Bible colleges in different nations. Why? It's not because of the American way. It's because there's so much out there. There's so many thought processes out there. There's so many ideologies out there, and they need to come back to the Word. So there's a time for that. Do you hear what I'm saying, saints? I believe in all of those things. But when are we going to hear from God for ourselves? When are we going to hear from God if this is the right thing and this is the right way to go? We must hear from the Lord. I'm going to get real personal before I get into the cycles here. This last Sunday, after the service, many of you know that are partners and members here. We had, as far as I know, in the history of our church, New Day Church, we had almost every member partner here. There was a couple that couldn't be here. And the ones that couldn't sent in an absentee ballot. And we did it for a specific issue concerning our church and the future growth and where we're headed. And I got to be honest with you. I'm just laying it out here. I was shocked that it was a 100% vote. Why? Because everybody's got their own opinions. Right? I used to think, especially as a young pastor, I used to think that everything that we would do would always be 100%. In fact, I have a witness here that could tell you in early board meetings back when we started the church that I would say, man, if we're not 100% on everything, then we're not moving forward. And then I had some wise, sage, older pastors who would tell me when I would say things like that, say, you just need to know, Ricky, that not everybody's always on board. (laughs) And so sometimes you have to move forward without 100%. But I'm telling you, I took that vote last week as a sign and as a confirmation from God that we were moving forward in the right direction. Why? Because I trust the voice of God and I trust the people of God. Amen? God speaks to us in so many ways. But we've got to get before God and hear God for ourselves. And that's what Joshua began to have. Because of the relationship that Joshua had built with the Lord in the tent, the Lord sends, and I told you this, what I believe, I believe it was Jesus, directly to him to download the revelation that Joshua needed on how to defeat Jericho. Jericho was important, not just because it was big, but because it was first. Can you imagine if Joshua would have lost Jericho? And then having to rally everybody and say, it's okay. We may have messed that up, but we're going to go get AI now. That would have been a little tougher scenario. So God wanted Joshua, and Joshua wanted to hear from God. God wanted Joshua to have a specific plan that would let all the Israelites know that although for 440 years they may have felt defeated, today they were going to conquer and enter the promised land. It may have felt like for many years that you've been defeated or there's been defeats in your life, but I'm here to tell you, when you come to the Lord and when you release yourself fully and completely to Him, there's going to be some victories. Amen? There's going to be some victories. And he said, I want them to know that it's not Joshua who won the battle. You remember that? We read that earlier. The Bible says, and Joshua won the battle with his sword. They said, Joshua, I've already set you up, God says. You're going to be strong and courageous, but everybody's going to know it's me that did this. Everybody's going to know that it's the Lord their God Almighty that did this, which brings us to the first R in the R cycle which is relationship opens up revelation, guys. Relationship opens up revelation. This is so important. When we are in relationship with the Lord, it's going to open up revelation to us. 
He's going to begin to reveal things to us that we've wondered about. He's going to begin to reveal things to us that we didn't know before. You know, one verse in Scripture says that God does nothing but that he first reveals it to his prophets. Who were prophets in the Old Testament? Prophets were those who fully and completely gave everything to God. I mean, these are guys who, if the Lord said, go take off your shirt and stand in the middle of the village and yell out certain things, then they would do it. These are the guys who, if God said, lay on your side in the middle of the street for 365 days, oh, and then next year you're going to flip over and lay on your other side for 365 days, these guys would do it. How many of you know prophets may have looked crazy, but they were close to God? They, and things were revealed to them. Think about it. Daniel's revelation was given to him when? When he was in exile. It was just him and God. When did John get his revelation of the last book of the Bible? When was it? When he was out preaching and teaching? And No, it was when, where? When he was in exile on the island. It was just him and God. When did Paul write two-thirds of his two-thirds of the New Testament? When he was in prison, when it was just him and God. I pray it doesn't take prison or exile or being exiled onto an island, although that doesn't sound as bad. But I'm telling you, I, I hope it doesn't take that. But what does it mean? It means that we've got to get away with God sometimes. It means that we've got to draw ourselves into the tent and hang out a little longer and say, God, I know there's tons of stuff to do out there. I know there's tons of things happening, but God, I want to draw away into the tent. I want to come into the tent and just be with you. And sometimes ask for nothing. Wouldn't that be novel? Can I tell you that you probably know where you are with the Lord if every single time you come into his presence, you're always asking for something? Can I tell you if every time you come into the presence of the Lord and you're always asking for something, it might mean that you're still in the childish or teenage level with God. There's nothing wrong with asking. He says to ask. But how many know there's times we need to draw away? Be in his presence. Say, God, the only thing I ask for is your presence. I want you to be in this place with me. And out of that relationship, I believe we begin to open up revelation. His glory is revealed, his faithfulness, his kindness, his goodness. And sometimes even like with Joshua, his plans are revealed. Last week, I spoke about the secrets of the kingdom were revealed to Jesus's disciples while the crowds just heard parables without explanation. I'm telling you, that's what God wants for his disciples with you and me. He wants to he wants to reveal these secrets of the kingdom and he can do that through relationship. You see, the crowds only see so much. The crowds only see so much, but the disciples saw it all. Joshua had a choice of what to do with the revelation he received. He could have rejected it or he could have received it. He could have said, God, I'm not so sure that that's you standing right before me because that plan sounds like a cockamamie plan. I mean, that's crazy. March around a city for seven days in a row and then on the seventh day, seven times, only blowing the trumpets. I mean, we don't get to use the cool new swords that we just made. We don't get to get all of that equipment that we got from the Amalekites and use some of the battering rams. Come on, God, now that would be a cool battle. Joshua was a warrior. His idea was, how can we break through the gates and get inside? And so, and God was saying, you want to break through the gates, I'm going to bring down the walls. (laughs) So Joshua had a choice, and of course we know his choice, because he was mentioned again in the Bible. But that brings us to the second part of the cycle. Revelation creates responsibility. So relationship opens up to us revelation. 
But revelation creates responsibility. Revelation creates responsibility. A responsibility to act on the revelation given. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given. Come on, church. Finish it out. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And he said this in the context of a parable and he explained it. He said, in the kingdom, when you've been given much, you are expected to use it for my kingdom and my glory. When God gives it to us, he wants it to move through us. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Money is the simple example. That's the simple one. Everything that we have, we are given. Amen? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We recognize that everything comes from our Heavenly Father. Not only our money, but our health. What we have. The relationships that we have. The family that we have. I I was listening uh, to a podcast yesterday that Joni had on, and, and it mentioned this man, and he was talking, and I just heard this little clip. And he said, yeah, he's a grandfather. He was talking about, you know, how to, how to be a great grandfather to your kids and all that kind of stuff and stuff that we don't need to know about right now, but someday we will. Glory to God. <laughs> and he said in this, that just, it just grabbed me. He said that, that being a good grandparent is representing God to your grandchildren. And then he said this, he said, I've been so blessed because all of my children and all of my grandchildren live right next to me. He said that we all live in the same community. And I thought, man, God, that would be cool. Already I've got two across the world. We plan to have more across the world. We've raised them that way. And who knows where they'll be? We're not promised that. We, we're not going to get that privilege to have our kids and grandkids always around us. And for just a moment, I felt remorse. And then I immediately afterwards, I said, no, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what you have given me. What you gave that man is awesome for him. And he's able to write a book on grandparenting, being near your kids and grandkids. But God, one day, if you should tarry, I'll write a book on how to raise up world changers going into all the world to preach the gospel. God, that, that'll be my, it's, and, and God blesses both. God will bless both if you give it to him. So whatever he's given us, we give back to him. Now we can either reject the responsibility of that or receive it. We know the next part of the cycle is this, that that responsibility brings reward. Responsibility brings reward. Relationship brings revelation. Revelation requires responsibility, but responsibility brings reward. And if you turn to Joshua chapter 6, it says in verse 6, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Joshua accepted the responsibility of the revelation because of the relationship. And then if you skip down to verse 27, you see, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. And he reaped the reward of taking the responsibility. God blessed Joshua. Do you know what the reward of responsibility is? Anybody know what the reward of responsibility is? More responsibility. That's exactly right. Look at a teenager right now and tell them that. They don't want to hear it, but tell them anyway because it's so true. The reward of responsibility is more responsibility. The way Joe likes to say it is the reward of a good job done is another job. When he told my, his younger siblings that, they all said, then we don't want to do a good job. 
<laughs> I said, no, if the reward of doing a bad job is doing it again and again and again until you get it right. Amen. So the reward of responsibility is more responsibility. God gives us more. We know that through the parable of the talents, the one who doubled their master's investment. What, what were they given? They were given more responsibility over their master's possessions and their properties. The one who buried the investment was not only fired, he was punished. Jesus said, cast him into outer darkness for burying his responsibility, for burying what he had. Rejecting responsibility is, in fact, rebellion. Do you know what rebellion's reward is? Retribution. It's going to come back. And we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about Jesus, you know, and how kind and meek and mild he is and how he goes around, you know, meeting everybody's needs and crawling on his knees to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And and if anybody's offended, he's like, oh, it's okay. I'm so sorry for offending you. Is that the Jesus you serve? Because the Jesus I serve, the Bible says he's got fire in his eyes and he's coming back with a sword in his mouth. Woo. I I tell you, I don't want to be on the end of that sword. So that's why I want to know this sword. Amen? I want to be on this side of God. Praise God for his grace. You know, in Joshua chapter 7, we're not going to go there, but that's what happened with Achan. Instead Instead of doing what he was supposed to do, what he did was sin, and he took some of the Lord's devoted things, which, are, which was expressly forbidden. And because he took a few gold coins and silver coins, things that belonged to God, not only did he pay for it, but his family paid for it, and the nation paid for it. Aren't you glad for the new age of grace? We live under the grace of God in the New Testament. We live under that grace so good, but there is still consequence for rebellion. The most severe consequence I can think for rebellion is this, is losing God's favor and losing his presence. Isn't that what David said even in the Old Testament? Even in his limited understanding? He said, God, don't take away your presence from me. Take away the kingdom. Take away everything. But don't take away your presence. Can I give you one more reward for responsibility? Another reward for responsibility is more revelation. (laughs) And that's where the cycle begins. More revelation comes out of more relationship. Relationship feeds more revelation, which then leads to more responsibility and reward, which goes back and back and back and back. And relationship feeds more revelation, which leads to more responsibility and reward. Joshua shows us this even at the end. In Joshua 24, 29, you don't have to look it up, but if you want to, you can write it down. He came to the end of his life, and the Bible tells us he was 110 years old. He had all his family gathered around him. And at the end of it all, he was still serving God. Think about it. Do you remember how old I told you he was when when he came on the scene? He was about 30 or 40 years old, somewhere around then. There's something about that (laughs) 40-year-old. And from then, for the next 70 years, Joshua repeated this cycle and saw and reaped the reward of God's presence, his power, his goodness, his mercy, but he also reaped more revelation and more responsibility. Before his death, he brought the people together and reminded them of what the Lord had done in them and through them. And he did issue this challenge, if you want to turn there, Joshua 24, 14 and 15. He said this, and, and listen to, you know, I, I can't, there's no way that I can tell you exactly how Joshua said it. But just listen to his words. He said to the people after he gathered them, so fear the Lord and serve him 
wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Did you catch that? They picked up some stuff when they were in slavery. And he's saying, if, if you've got anything left over, I can't imagine. But if you've got anything of that left, if you kept a trinket from your great-grandma, from her idol of Baal, make sure you get rid of it now. Can you imagine by this point? I would think that the whole nation would be just like just flowing with favor. And yet he's warning them if you're hiding anything. Then he says, serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. And, you know, a lot of times we'll read that and we'll think, yeah, we're either going to serve God or we're going to serve Baal. But read what he says next. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? He says, if you choose not to serve the Lord, then which God are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of your past or the God of your present? Are you going to serve the gods that, that didn't bring you to where you are? Or are you going to begin to pick up the pattern of the current world you're in. You see, it's easy for Christians to say, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not going to serve, you know, my, my parents and, and my grandparents or maybe my great-grandparents, you know, they served, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I'm not going to serve that, those gods. I'm, I'm a believer now. I'm a new generation. But do you get wrapped up in what's going on around you? In the God of mammon. In the God of jealousy and greed, in the God uh, of backbiting and gossip. Don't, don't let yourselves get there, he says. Then he says this statement. But as for me and my house, what does he say? We will serve the Lord. That's the one we put up on the plaques. <laughs> That's the one that we put in the picture frame and put it above our mantle. Not the one before that. But we need to remember the one before that. Joshua says to his dying breath, this is what I want to leave this nation and my children and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren that we will serve the Lord wholeheartedly and we will keep that cycle going. Then he made a covenant between the people and their God and that covenant lasted at least from my study that I can tell at least three generations. In our day, that would be at least 120 years or so. In his day, when you're living to 110, it might be a little longer than that. Can you imagine? Because Joshua started a cycle of relationship with the Lord, of revelation, come on, because he said, I'll take the responsibility And then he reaped the rewards. He said, let's keep this thing going, people. Let's keep it going. And I want to challenge you, if you're watching online or if you're here, if you're a first-generation believer or a second-generation believer, or maybe you're like me and a third-generation believer, every generation has to have their own encounter with God. We cannot live even on our past generation's relationship with God. Joshua didn't even do that. He could have listened to Moses the rest of his days, but when Moses died, we would have had a different book of Joshua. In fact, we probably wouldn't have had a book of Joshua if Moses just would have done what, or excuse me, if Joshua just would have done what Moses did and just gone off what Moses said. Because Moses never told him how to take out Jericho, but God did. Every generation needs to have a revelation of Jesus in their heart and in their life. The reward for living a life of relationship with the Lord will lead others to the same conclusion. We may not be able to create that revelation, but I'm telling you here and now, when they see it in us, they will crave it. And even if they stray, 
the Lord says, my word will not return void. It will accomplish the work for which I sent it. Cast your bread upon the waters, for it will come back to you. Train up a child in the way he should go. In the end, that's right. Can you stand with me? Relationship leads to revelation. Revelation creates responsibility, and responsibility brings reward. Where are you at in that? I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Where are you at in that? Are you craving for that relationship with the Lord? To know him more? To know him more? Can I tell you, we never should lose the desire to know him more. I've been told by some of my friends and other, I'll just say denominations. They've asked me, why do you, why do you pray for more of God? Why do you sing about, oh, I want more of Jesus? You can't get more of Jesus. Technically, they're right but he can have more of me. That's what we're saying when we say that. But maybe you're in that place that you've been hearing from the Lord and he's been giving you revelation about some things. I just sense that there's somebody in this room right now that you're in that part of the cycle of having to decide about the responsibility that you've been given. And you've been fighting it, you've been saying, God, are you sure? You've been asking for fleeces. You've taken yourself all the way back to the Old Testament and trying to become Gideon. Say, Lord, just give me one more confirmation. But in your heart of hearts, you know what you're supposed to do. Don't let it enter into rebellion. It's time to say, Lord, I'm yours, I trust you, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to send that letter, I'm going to make that phone call, I'm going to do whatever it takes to step in to the revelation that God has already given me, and I'm going to take responsibility. And it will lead to reward, I promise. Or maybe you're in that place where you feel like you're at the end of your days and you've seen this cycle in your life and you're waiting for the great reward. Can I speak to you for a moment? One of the responsibilities of those that are entering their final days of their lives, although none of us knows when that is, one of the responsibilities of those individuals are to pass on that hunger and those values and those character things to others. So maybe it's to write a book. Maybe it's like my dad one day just sat down and started to write. And then he, ta- he told my brother, he said, would you teach me how to type on that computer thing in there? And my father in his 80s began to know nothing about computers but began to type his story out. And it was still a couple more years before he passed away. But that story is so important. But I need to still speak to you. If you're at that place and at that time, recognize you're not done yet until he's done. There's still a work to do. There's still a work to do. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just lift up our hearts to the Lord right now and say, God, where am I? I want to know you more. God, I want to see things that you have for me. I want to to know you. I want to know you, Lord, more. I want to know more about you. Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you help me to pull away when you call to me to stay in the tent a little longer? God, I'm not satisfied with just Sunday morning tent meetings. 
God, I want to have daily tent meetings with you. God, I want to know you more. And I know in that you're going to reveal more. You're going to reveal more of yourself and your plans for me. Hallelujah. Just commit it to the Lord wherever you're at. Just commit that to the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. While you're doing that, I want to speak to those who have yet to fully commit their lives to Jesus. If you have not committed your life to Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. This is not about a religion. It is truly about a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's done all the work for you. All you have to do is surrender to his plan and his will and his way. So if you're watching right now, would you just say to Jesus, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm messed up. I've messed up so many times and hurt so many people. I've sinned against others and I've sinned against you. God, would you forgive me of all of my sins? I want to know you, Jesus. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that there's no one above you, God, that you are the only way. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection, that you died for me, but you also rose again for me. Jesus, help me to trust in you. Fill me with your spirit. Let me know your word in Jesus' name. And when you pray that in your own words, God will come and you'll be brought into new relationship and new life with Jesus. Can we just lift up our hands and pray for them right now? God, we pray in the name of Jesus. God, for those who are coming into new life, Lord, we pray for this next week as we begin to prepare and plan for this pumpkin patch, God, that this isn't just about a fundraiser. It's about speaking into people's lives. It's about planting seeds of the gospel. It's about bringing them into relationship with Jesus. God, would you use this church? Would you use this property? Would you use, God, this pumpkin patch for your glory? God, would you use our mouths and our ears and our eyes, God, to see and to hear the cry of the people, God? God, and give us the boldness to be your witnesses. God, we thank you and praise you and we love you. We love you. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like we need to do one more thing. and I feel like we need to pray for people who we know personally, who we know needs an encounter with Jesus. Can you just pray? I just know the Lord is putting people on your heart right now. They're names of people. Pray for them right now. Don't wait till later. Right now. God, we bring before these people to you, God. God, we bring before you each and every one of these people, young and old. God, people who have known you in the past but have rejected you. God, people who have never known you, Lord. Our friends, our family members. God, those that we go to school with and work with, those that are in our neighborhoods. God, we pray for them. We cry out to you for them right now. And we ask that you would come and even use our mouth to speak the words that you have for them. God, we pray for our unsafe family members. God, and we pray for the next generation, that this generation would know you, that this generation would have an encounter with you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for that. We give them to you in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bless these as we go. I bless this church. I bless these families, these marriages. God, I bless these individuals, God. I bless each and every one as they go out of this place today. God, that they know that they are loved and accepted by you and that they can do great things because you have called them to. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We love you so very much.